I'm Steve Fisher. Mark Saltzman gave up the life of a rock drummer on the cusp of success to translate geek speak for the rest of us. Since then, he's built a solid reputation as a tech evangelist. He's my guest on Life Slices. Welcome, Mark Saltzman, tech guru extraordinaire. I, I want to start. There a lot of people may know you, but a lot may not. So who is Mark Saltzman? Thank you so much, Steve, for having me on the podcast. So I am a technology evangelist. I like to preach about the benefits of technology, and I do so in a few different mediums. Uh, I'm a freelance journalist, including for Costco Connection Magazine and, and some other publications like USA Today, AARP and so on. I write books. So writing is one pillar, if you will. Uh, And I've been doing so for 25 years full time. So uh, summer of 96 is when I started uh, being, uh, yeah, I started writing full time. And then um, I, aside from that, I'm a radio show host. I host a show called Tech It Out. It's also a podcast. And in Canada, it's branded as Tech Talk. I've been doing that for 20 years. I also do quite a bit of TV work as a freelance contributor to different networks. And I do host my own show called Tech Impact on Fox Business and Bloomberg Television. And uh, finally, I'm a keynote speaker. So I, I give, so I do live events. I'm an MC. I do lunch and learns and all that. So it's all under the umbrella of not just celebrating technology, but demystifying it. Or as I like to say, breaking down geek speak into street speak. While there are geeks who like my work and I'm thrilled, like geeks like me, who uh, like my my social media posts and things like that, or they like my uh, reviews, my unboxings. I really enjoy when I can see that light bulb go off over someone's head when they they get it, they understand you know something that they previously struggled with, and I just try to make their life a little bit easier when it comes to this wild, wonderful wacky world of technology. So all this adds up to you're just yet another in a long line of underachievers we have on this program. <laughs> Clearly. It's like, you're so funny. I, I don't know how Thank you do you. it. So Thank you. what did it take to become who you are today? So I um, was hoping I'd be a full-time professional musician. And I went to university. I went to college for four years in Toronto, where I live as a backup to please my parents. I took a, I had a four-year degree in psych uh, because I really thought that uh, the music was going to pay off. And we were starting to, and I was paying my way through university, through college um, by playing live events. And we were starting to get bigger and bigger. But ultimately, after I had graduated, I thought, okay, I, I came to the realization this isn't going to happen for me or not as fast as I had wanted. So I started review video games part-time just so I can get them for free. So that's the truth. <laughs> I, uh, I I was sick of paying $70 for a computer game. And I thought there's got to be a better way than this. So writing articles about the games really just, it was a means to an end. And I had some, you know, publications, local ones to start, small paper magazines that gave me a shot, not being a, a trained journalist. I didn't go to J school, uh, nor did I come from the tech side. I didn't know, I didn't even grow up liking tech a lot, any other guy like games or whatever. There weren't even really gadgets back then. I was a rocker, Steve. I had lo- I had the mullet. I had like the long hair with the 80s t- teased up. And uh, that was, I thought, my thing. I was like, I really thought that was my future. But uh, yeah, so I, I think what it helped me though, 
become this tech translator because I, I didn't grow up in that world. In other words, I was on the other side. I wasn't, I didn't think tech was cool or interesting to me at all. I think it wasn't until video games matured that I really appreciated on another level where I was like, wow, this is like an interactive movie in which I'm the star uh, and all my decisions have consequences. I mean, I found that fascinating when games evolved from jumping over barrels to uh, save a damsel in distress to what they became in the 90s. And then at the same time, the, the World Wide Web was born. And I was just floored at what was what I, I saw where we were going with this, that it was really early days. And I think it's the it was that was that became my new passion. And uh, yeah, and, and, and even folding in some of my previous experiences. So I think the article that kind of put me on the map as a freelance journalist, this unknown Canadian journalist uh, trying to break into the US market was I did uh, write an article for CNN.com and I want to say 98, uh, uh, predicting that MP3s, uh, that was going to revolutionize the music industry for better or for worse, depending on you know which side of the fence you were on. I really thought this was sort of letting the cat out of the proverbial bag. And it was amazing if you were a music fan, but awful if you're a record label <laughs> and ultimately the band who I would maybe have trouble monetizing it. Um, so th that article got picked up quite a bit. And then it was a year later that, you know, Napster, uh, Sean was on the front cover of Time magazine. So I remember getting a lot of work saying, you were the guy that that predicted about MP3s because I loved music so much. And I was able to to fuse my, 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 my passions. Given all that you do, what is a day in the life of Mark Saltzman like? I do love, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't love the variety in my, in my job. Again, I'm a self-employed freelance guy uh, working from home for the most part, especially during, you know, COVID um, not traveling much. And I do love that every day. It's a little different in terms of the topics that I cover because tech is such a wide, obviously such a huge uh, uh, category uh, and, and in the medium. So one day would be typically I'm freshest in the morning. So typically I like to wake up and I write and that's where I find I'm most creative. I come up with the best uh, copy. So I do, I, I find, I, I find it laborious to write in the afternoon. I feel like I'd rather plan for the next day when I'm not as fresh uh, by doing interviews or, you know, editing radio shows and things like that. So typically a, a normal day includes writing an article or two in the morning. Then I, uh, I produce my own radio show. So I chase guests and I, uh, will I will write the questions for them. We'll set up a time kind of like what we're doing right now. And I'll record the interview and then I'll edit the interview. And then I have to produce this radio show every week, a one hour uh, show or podcast. So I, I usually work on that a little bit every day, but it's not unusual that I'm on set somewhere these days locally in Toronto where I live and I'm, I'm uh, you know, shooting videos for uh, a company or, you know, I just did a, there's a recycling organization in Canada that I just did a video podcast with the other day. I had to get, you know, proof of vaccination and I had to go to a studio and record a video podcast. So I do like that and I do miss being on stage and giving a keynote. Hopefully that's going to come back. But a typical day is a mix of uh, writing, radio, TV work in some way, shape or form, research, just to prepare for the next couple of days. And uh, yeah, mostly from these, this, the four walls here in my home office. As, as a tech evangelist, how do you stay up on all the, I mean, technology is a fast moving world. It's like, it seems like there's something new every minute. 
How do you stay in tune with everything new coming down the pike? Yeah, it's true that you say that, Steve. I always say that the tech industry, while I've been covering it for 25 years full time, it's almost like a dog years. Like it would be 100 years in another industry kind of thing because it evolves so rapidly. Yeah. And it's not unusual that I get uh, approached by a TV station uh, like a CNN or Headline News or Fox or whatever, a Canadian station saying, hey, can you come on in, in half an hour and, and talk about this? And I'm like, what happened? Just because it's so fast. And I'm like head down in a project. Um, so th- to answer your question, it's a, I, I stay on top of the tech um, in a few different ways. Usually it's uh, I, I'm contacted by the companies. I get about 500 emails a day. Many of them are press releases from PR folks or sometimes marketing folks saying, um, you know, hey, we're don't forget we've got that Zoom call set up tomorrow about this new, you know, Google phone or about this new soundbar or whatever. So I'm getting press releases and pitched to write about brands by the the comms folks at these tech companies. Um, other than that, you know, um, I and, and I get products sent to me. A, a really great sort of um, perk to my job is that I'm sent this really cool tech often earlier than other folks get it. And uh, I get a chance to play around with it, whether it's games or gadgets and, or access to apps before long before they come out. But I'm also, because I love this stuff is that I follow along with podcasts and not so much for breaking news as you know, I'm on, I'm on social media for that. Uh, so we're all here about something that ha- something happened. Elon Musk announced this new project he's working on. I, I find a lot of that on social media. So I seek it out. I, I don't subscribe to like RSS feeds per se, but I'm 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 on top of it and I and I review, you know, I look at different tech publications a lot. Yeah. But usually emails that I get pitched to cover. And then between that, between me reaching out and it coming to me, the things that I'm most interested in will bubble up to the top. And then I always try to find something timely. So if it's uh, you know, I wrote an article today. It's October and it's about, uh, you know, Halloween's around the corner. So I'm talking about vampire power or standby power, which is when your devices are plugged into the wall, but even though they're not turned on, they're still consuming a lot of electricity and that can add up and you can really see it, you know, see it on your utility bill. So how do you fight back against vampire power or phantom power as it's sometimes called? So I try to think, what are, what are people talking about? Okay. Squid game. So what are some video games that are like the TV show squid game or back to school season? So let's look at, you know, five things to look for in your next laptop. So I tried to stay relevant and timely because obviously I want you know, it to appeal to the most number of people. And when you get all this swag from the different companies wanting you to test their products, yeah. do you get to keep it? In most cases, yes. Do you have a, a, a particular room in your house to just store all this tech stuff? Yeah. So I, I know this podcast is mostly going to be airing uh, audio wise, but we are chatting over video. So it looks like it's a nice clean office, I'm assuming. But if you didn't, if you if you saw what was around my camera, it's a pile. Uh, it looks like my office looks like, like a, a, a retail store exploded, <laughs> like a big box store exploded. Um, so I do, I do you know, I have it here until I ask, can I send it back or I'll donate it or say, can I give away a computer on my radio show or on my podcast or something? Um, But yeah, so I keep it in this room here in my home office. And then in my, I have a basement where I live and I have some storage there as well. Probably not advertised that I have all this. (laughs) When you receive these items, how often are you wowed? And how often do you go, really, you're going to try to sell, sell this? It's a great question. And I don't want to sound curmudgeon 
because I've been covering tech for so long. Uh, but sometimes the shine, it's there's there's a bit of a this little lack, lackluster shine on some of these products. You know, they'll they'll tell you it's the best thing ever, and and it's not. Uh, but there are those ones that pop through that you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Even if I don't think it has a lot of commercial you know, viability. Like I just received um, a month or so ago, a 3D tablet. So it looks like an iPad at first glance, but the images, it looks like a hologram. It's like they're coming out of the screen. And I was like, wow, this is cool. So that's like my party trick. When my friends come over, I'll be like, check this out. It's it's coming out soon. And they'll be like, oh my gosh. But it's a bit gimmicky because not you don't want that all the time, I think. I could be wrong. So that's something that, um, you know, I, I think I was wowed, but I don't know if I would use it every day. Um, then there are those products. And speaking of the iPad, where I really didn't think I would like it so much. I'm like, do we really need something in between a, a phone and a laptop in terms of size and function? But my iPad is my go-to device, not really so much for creating content, but for consuming it for sure. I love reading and I listen to music on it. I play games on it with my fingertips. I I stream videos on my iPad. I browse the web. Um, I I look at photos. I edit photos on it. Um, But uh, it's funny. I didn't think I, you know, then it came out in 2010. I was like, once I got my hands on it, I, I got it. I understood the magic. In, in it, you know, that Steve Jobs often talked about. I, it's funny because I felt the same way about tablets. I never understood why. I said, I've got a computer. I've got a phone. What do I need a tablet for? But uh, the day came a couple of years ago where I actually bit and bought an iPad and I use it a lot. Yeah. If you like to read, I mean, maybe not so much outdoors. An e-book reader would be, uh, an e-reader is a lot uh, more conducive for sunlight and, and to lie by a pool or beach. But um, indoors, I think it's a fantastic reading device. You can load it up with thousands of books, you know, adjust the font size, double tap a word to get a definition. So why do you think that VR has not taken off? as many predicted it would? Yeah, good question, Steve. I think um, it's a combination of things. Uh, First, the the first generation uh, of VR headsets, and arguably the second one, still required you to tether it to a computer with a cable, which is not comfortable. They're expensive, and you needed a very high-end computer. And some of the headsets and some of the best experiences, frankly, are still tied to those uh, devices. The Oculus uh, Quest, excuse me, I kept, uh, Oculus Quest 2 is uh, hands, it's like a wireless uh, VR solution where you just download content uh, out, of, out of the air over Wi-Fi and it's stored locally on storage. So you don't need anything and you don't have to tether it to a video game console, a computer, or snap a phone in the front. So I think there was, it was too fragmented at the beginning. There was too many players and there's too many different things that you needed. The barriers of entry were too high. And on top of all that, there wasn't enough content to justify the purchase. I think there wasn't like a, you know, a killer app, as we would say, there wasn't like a Grand Theft Auto, like a shut the front door game that everybody is talking about that you can only experience in virtual reality. Um, But I think, you know, fast forward to late 2021 now and, you know, VR headsets are getting lighter, less expensive. There's a ton of content. A lot of it is for free. It's not just games either, by the way. Um, but I think, you know, it, I think Oculus has a real chance here, but still not mainstream, you know, but uh, as a gamer, and I, I appreciate all the platforms, VR offers something very fresh to me and very immersive. 
And with the Oculus Quest 2, you don't even need to hold the controllers in order to interact with content. In some of the experiences, there is a camera on the headset. Your hands alone is enough to go out and touch uh, virtual content as if you were doing something. So again, yeah, so you're not having to strap into this whole body suit, like, you know, like the movie uh, Ready Player One, uh, you know, not yet. So, but so, so I think they did a good job. Well, you brought up a good point, though, when talking about VR and you were talking about uh, the different standards and all that, and that, that seems to be uh, an issue across the tech world is like you're dealing with Macs, you're dealing with Windows, you're dealing with all these different technology. Will we ever see a day where there is a standardization? No, because these companies are very protective of their IPs, right? They've spent billions of dollars with their patents and all that. And they, they want that to be the standard or, you know, obviously so. You know, it, it sounds like science fiction to you know, everybody's holding hands and singing Kumbaya. We're all using one standard. There's no way. <laughs> I know the European Union is trying very hard to, you know, even standardize like, a, you know, a, a smartphone cable. It's just not going to happen with a company like Apple. That's like, there's no way because they make too much money from their proprietary lightning uh, cables. It would be great and things are getting a little bit better. But what I like about the smart home tech is that it doesn't matter if you want to play the field. They all tend to work together over a platform like Amazon Alexa or the Google uh, platform or to a lesser extent, Apple HomeKit, which is there. So those are, so it doesn't matter if you buy a Philips Hue light bulb, a Ring video doorbell, a, uh, you know, you, you get the idea. You can play the field with all the tech, you know, like a, an Ecobee smart thermal thermostat. Um, it'll all work with that one smart speaker that you've got, which could be as low as $29, depending on when you buy it throughout the year, like a Google Nest Mini or a uh, uh, Alexa uh, Echo Dot. So inexpensive smart speakers, doesn't matter what brand you go with, it'll just work. It gets a little bit convoluted when you, if you want to open up one, like you have to open up an app for your phone an app for, then, then it gets different because there's not one app that's going to control it all, even though some have attempted to consolidate. But when you use your voice, it doesn't matter what company it is, or, you know, as long as it works on that platform and the two big ones are of course, Amazon and Google, you're good there. And I like that. And speaking of which I am an Android phone user. I told you how much I love my iPad and I use the windows PC. So it's, you know, there are applications like Microsoft Office that's going to work across all of them, right? Uh, Or Zoom or, you know, WhatsApp or or, or Facebook or they, they, for the most part, these big platforms are going to work across all operating systems. So it's fine. Well, I know a lot of people are afraid when it comes to smart home technology, to any of the voice assistants, anything like that. The, the security applications or the ser- security implications and and that are you opening yourself up to hackers getting into your life it's highly unlikely it's technically possible but highly improbable that you're going to have a hacker access your smart speaker and and list an eavesdrop digitally eavesdrop on your family or take control of your smart home and lock you out of your home i mean it's it's just not likely i think privacy and you know what's being done with your data by the companies that you're entrusting your information with that's a bigger concern and yeah there's there's a look i think we're we've we're we're a society that that is often trading security for convenience Yes, there's a little mute button on the top of your smart speaker if you don't want it always listening, but that kind of defeats the purpose of a hands-free smart speaker to have to go over and unmute that smart speaker. It's nice that they, the companies put it in there. 
but I think that we're, I think the younger generation may be, and I, I'm painting with a broad stroke here and I am generalizing, but I think, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, they may be more open to giving information about themselves, which is usually anonymized anyways. And that's enough for the younger kids to go like, I don't care. I just want to be able to use this and, this, and these Google services and all that. Um, the older folks, the, the Gen Xers and, and the boomers and all that, we are a little bit more cautious, I think. But at the end of the day, you know, um, these companies, they do monetize uh, what we do because that data is very valuable, whether it's Facebook or Google or, you know, Amazon, when we're shopping, all that data is being collected and analyzed. It's anonymized, but it's being looked at and and, uh, studied and you're marketed to. And, you know, I do applaud companies like Apple that try to push back and say, like, you know, do you want to be tracked? You know, where, you know, as, as the spring of 2021, if you're an iPhone user, you're going to see that message. Do you, when you use an app, do you want to be tracked? And um, if you say no, you're still going to see ads because you are using free services. In most cases, a free game has to be paid. Like those engineers, animators, they have to be paid by somebody. So it's advertising. You're just going to see ads that aren't as relevant to you. I know that you answer a lot of questions or you get a lot of uh, email from your readers and viewers, whatever, what are some of the most common problems the average consumer has with tech? So I get a lot of um, smartphone questions. Should I go iPhone or I'm tempted to go Android? My brother has a Samsung. So I get a lot, you know, smartphones is where a lot of the uh, innovation is today. It's starting to level off, uh, but, uh, you know, a good 90% of Americans own a smartphone, which is higher than laptop penetration and all that and and smart TVs and all that. So it's it's still a very popular category. So a lot of it is around that. Uh, I also get a a lot of questions about Wi-Fi. Um, I have terrible reception. What can I do? Um, you know, so I get a lot of questions about performance because the Wi-Fi is what connects all these devices together. Of course, without strong Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter if you have the best TV. Uh, if you're trying to stream a, a, a Netflix show and, you know, the, the actor sounds like Ken from A Fish Called Wanda stuttering all the time, <laughs> you get that reference. Uh, then it's then it doesn't matter how amazing that TV is. You know, if the experience isn't good, because you have lousy Wi-Fi or, you can have you can have a four thousand dollar laptop. But if your Zoom calls are also choppy, then, you know, so you need strong Wi-Fi. So I get questions a lot about those two things. Yeah. What are some of the oddest questions you've received? I, I get questions where they give me such like it's tech support questions and they give me like very little information to work on and they expect that I would answer it. And I guess it's just because they're not familiar with tech. You know, they'll say like, yeah, my uh, my uh, smart oven stopped working. What can I do? <laughs> say, well, you know, I, I don't know. Just because your appliances are smart doesn't mean you don't need to. So it's like silly things like that, where it's like, how can I possibly diagnose it? And then I know they're just looking for for help. And I get it. I'm not making fun of them. It's like, obviously, they don't know what to do. And, and it's very frustrating. Look, I mean, I'm the smartest thing I can ever do in helping my 81-year-old uh, mom with tech is to install a uh, remote software on her computer. So instead of me saying, okay, mom, click the, th- I just log in and I let her watch and I'm like, look what I'm doing. I'm moving the mouse cursor, right? So it just saves ag- aggravation and time and I'm teaching her at the same time. So if you haven't done that, folks, if you are the tech support, if you are the go-to tech support person in your family, do yourself a favor and install remote software on all, it's free. You could just, you know, it's free for these uh, like splash. I use splash top personal, um, you know, install that on all your relatives devices so you can go in and just do it and they can watch you do it. Speaking of tech support, 
I, I know a lot of people get very frustrated when they have to call tech support because they get frustrated with questions like, is it plugged in? But there's a reason they ask that is because there are people out there that go, oh, it has to be plugged in. You know, and, and so what is the best way to deal with tech support? How would you advise people who have to make a tech support call? So the first thing you should do is, aside from making sure that the, the, the device you're having issues with is plugged in, is to just reboot it. That's like, I know it's a joke, just restart it. But often that does clean up a lot of the problems right away. So just don't forget to restart. And if you're still having issues, then yeah, just just know what, you know, just, you know, if you need to write out what uh, device you're on and make sure if you uh, have a service somewhere where you're, you get free tech support that you know your ID information and all that. So just call, uh, try to call, you know, earlier, later in the day. Midday is always busiest. Uh, so you may get frustrated staying on phone if it is phone-based tech, tech support. And on that note, if the service that you're trying to get help with offers live chat and you are comfortable with that, that's always a, a quicker way to reach somebody. So through your computer or through your phone, it's it's talking, but, you know, they may not, if it's through your phone, they may not have access to get in there remotely, but they may ask you if it's over a computer, can I have, and it's just, as long as it's a trusted source, go for that. How would you advise someone who is technophobic? What do you do as an evangelist to get them on board with technology? It's a good question. Dip your toe in the water. You don't have to dive in. Try something small, get a one smart light and see how you like the process of setting it up, usually with an app. And uh, just have fun turning it on and off with your voice through a smart speaker or through an app if you don't have a smart speaker, Uh, you know, setting a schedule or a timer, uh, changing the colors, and then ask yourself, what is this bringing to my life that a regular light bulb wouldn't? So it could be the convenience of turning it on and off with your voice or installing a little complimentary sensor in a motion sensor. So when you leave the room, it turns off the room. So not only is it convenient, but it'll save you money on your electric bill. So ask yourself, do, what what am I what am I doing here? Why am I going through this? So it's if it if it brings you convenience or if it saves you uh, time or money or aggravation, great. Start small. You know, prices are dropping, and uh, you know they they're getting easier and easier to use. It's not a one size fits all scenario. Not everybody's going to want to buy every little gadget. You have to find something that fits your needs and budget. Where are some places people can find your work? Yeah, so on social media, I do tend to link to my articles. Uh, videos and radio shows. So uh, it's Mark Saltzman, Mark with a C, S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Yeah, that's that's probably the easiest thing to do. I also have a website, marksaltzman.com. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me to be a guest. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 